Well, welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here again on this Father's Day. A couple things before we get into the message this morning. Uh, first of all, yesterday's baptism was just amazing. It was just a privilege. Yeah. It was a, it was a privilege and honor to baptize uh, those folks from the Oasis yesterday. And uh, I just really appreciate Bob and Joan opening up their home. We had 75 people packed into that house to witness that baptism yesterday. So that was just an amazing experience and um, just uh, really encouraging. Uh, Also just want to make a few announcements. If any of you here uh, from our Oasis family are headed to San Diego soon and would be willing to take a box to Danny Sweeney, Please see Ann Sweeney about that. Uh, they would love to get uh, a box to Danny as soon as possible. Uh, also, um, want to let you know about something that we just started to announce on Wednesday night. Speaking of that, we've got two more Wednesdays to go uh, in our Bible study before we take a break in July. But in the month of July, we are going to have a Bible study for four weeks, the four Wednesdays that we're off in the cafeteria, for any of you that would be interested in coming. And I want to thank uh, Chuck and Anissa Frerichs for being willing to host this Bible study in their home. Uh, If you'd be interested in being a part of this home Bible study for four weeks, the information, the sign-up sheet, we'd like to get a sign-up sheet of how many people would be interested, just so we know how many people to plan for. Uh, I'm going to be doing the teaching, and we're going to be doing a four-week study on the uh, life and story of Gideon out of the book of Judges in the Old Testament. I'm very excited about sharing this with you folks that can make it out this summer. Uh, And so there's a flyer back there on the information table. There's a sign-up sheet. We would love uh, for you to take advantage of that. And then one more thing. In the midst of this series in 2 Thessalonians... God really spoke to my heart and laid it on my heart this past week to do a standalone message on July the 10th that's going to go along with what we're talking about in 2 Thessalonians, but that it would stand alone. And it's such a message. I mean, obviously, you can invite people to come any Sunday. We're we're happy for that. But this would especially be a good Sunday, I think, if you have family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, Uh, friends at school, whatever, that you would like to invite to the Oasis to hear a message, this would be a good Sunday. So mark that, circle that on your calendar. That's the week after the July 4th weekend. So hopefully those that might not be here for July the 4th, I know everybody, there's a lot of traveling and whatnot during the summer, but July the 10th, uh, think about maybe inviting someone to come with you that particular Sunday. So here we are. We are. We started a new series last Sunday in the book of Second Thessalonians. So that's where we'll be this morning. Second Thessalonians. A couple weeks ago, we finished up First Thessalonians, and last week we saw that Paul had a message to this local church, the local church in Thessalonica, and he was writing this letter to this local church to remind them of the great privilege they have of being the people of God and being part of the church, but more than that, the great responsibility that they have as the church. 
And we have to realize, I think, who we are as the church. Uh, what God expects of His people, the church. And again, we're not talking about the church in general. You know, that doesn't really apply to us that much. I mean, yes, we are a part of the general church of every true believer all over the world. But God really wants to bring it down to where it makes sense to us. And, and where we can apply it individually to our own lives. So that's why He wants us to look at this through the lens of our local church. And I believe that every true Christian should be part of and engaged in a local church. Jesus is the one who created the church. It is his church. And he wants us to be a part of it, a vital part of his local church. This is his plan. This wasn't something that we came up with. This was God's plan. And many Christians today, I think, fail to understand what the Bible teaches about the local church. And the reason I say that, as I said last week, is because if we truly, as people of God, understood the priority that God gave to the church, we would be more a part of the church. We would be more engaged in the church. We would have more relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We would serve more in the church. We would make the church more of a priority of our life. And that's what Paul wanted the Thessalonians to realize. We, as the people of God, have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to Christ himself. And that can be very much manifested in the context of the local church. Now, beginning today, Paul's going to tell us, here's why we need to take the local church seriously. First of all, let me say this. And I think this is pretty self-evident to any of us today. You and I are in a battle for our soul every day. Our community is in a battle for its soul today. Our church is in a battle for its very soul every day. Our country is in a battle for its very soul today. Our world is in that same place. We're always in that battle, if you will. And that's part of why... Being part of the church and, and making the church what God designed it and created it to be is so important because what we are engaged in is really serious business. We are engaged in things as the church that will determine eternity, you see. That's why the church has to be more than a place where I go as a Christian and I get entertained. It's got to be more than a place that is my social club where I fill out my social calendar because of my involvement in the church. No, the church primarily is a place where God's people come together and we worship God in spirit and in truth. And we've got to begin to take being part of the church much more serious because Paul is going to say to us today as part of the church, like he did to this local church in Thessalonica, a day of reckoning is coming. That every human being who's ever been born is going to end up into one of two destinies. And that's why the church and our responsibility to be the church 
is so vital and so essential. Because in this day of reckoning, for every human being, we will either enter into an eternal rest or we will enter into eternal ruin. And that's why Paul then begins in verse 6 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians with these words. After Paul shared with us that we have the responsibility to get our priorities right because we're going to suffer as the people of God. We're going to go through afflictions. We're going to be persecuted. Paul then says this, For it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Paul's basically reminding his people, the church, God will set things right one day. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God who is holy. And he will settle accounts and he will make things right one day. But we need to understand this. If you and I, even as the people of God, are looking for justice now... If we're looking for things to be right now here on earth, we will be gravely disappointed, very frustrated, and we will live in despair. Because God did never promise us as the people of God that we would live today in a just world. That he would make things right now. No, no. He promised us, though, that if we trust him, there is coming a day where God will vindicate his people, where he will vindicate himself and his truth, where he will set things right and make things right. And you and I have to live every day as the people of God in light of that promise of God. God will set things right. And that's what Paul is reminding the church of here. And literally in, the, in verse 6, he's also saying, And God, because he's a just God, will give back in equivalent what has been given out by others towards God's people, the church. So he says, basically, if they have afflicted you, if they've caused you trouble, God will bring that on them. And God has set this pattern really throughout the Bible. Again, not in the ultimate sense, but in sort of piecemeal senses. It little, little tidbits at a time. You think back through the stories, even in the Old Testament. Pharaoh was troubling the people of God. So God sent plagues on Pharaoh, eventually swallowing up his very army in the Red Sea. You come to the book of Esther. And you have this man, this this wicked, evil man named Haman who wanted to wipe out the Jews and wanted to hang Mordecai on the gallows. And who ended up being hung on the gallows? Not Mordecai, but Haman. Then you come to the book of Daniel and you see these men who are jealous of Daniel and they're conspiring to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And he actually does go in, but God protects him. And who ends up then going into the lion's den, getting eaten by the lions? The very people that conspired against Daniel. You see, throughout the Bible, God says, I'll take care of you if you're my people. And and ultimately, those who are going to trouble you, they will get what they were bringing you. Do we trust that God will do that? Do we believe that a day of reckoning is coming. 
Then he goes on to say in verse 7, And to you, speaking of the people of God, the church of God, who are being troubled or afflicted, I will give you rest together with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. See, eternal rest is coming for the people of God. The word could also be translated relief or even being able to relax. But notice something very important. God isn't telling his people relax now. God isn't telling his people rest now. God isn't telling his people I'll bring relief now. No, we're in a battle. We're in a struggle. Eternity is being determined by who we are as the people and the church of God. And therefore, we should never rest now. We should never relax now. There is too much at stake, both in our world, our country, our community, our church, and even in our own individual lives. Now's not the time to take a break. An eternal rest is coming, but now's not the time for the people of God to slack off and get complacent and take a vacation spiritually. Now's not the time. It is time for the church to recognize our responsibility and that, yes, a day of reckoning is coming and a day of eternal rest is coming. But now we must be reliable servants of God. Notice he says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, he will come, verse 8, with flaming fire. He will mete out punishment on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, judgment is coming. It's something you're not going to hear a lot about today, even in most churches. But it is a message from God to his people. To remind us, judgment's coming. It's not a popular message, but it's a biblical message. God is going to bring retribution. God is going to bring vindication. God is going to administer unwavering divine justice when he comes. And you and I, and even the people in this world, we can deny that God exists... We can deny that one day judgment is coming. It, it does not take away the reality of what's going to happen and what's going to come upon the people who have rejected Jesus Christ. Who have not been willing to acknowledge God. Or again, as Paul says, even listen attentively to the word of God. Judgment. It's very interesting to me that the very first doctrine that Satan attacks in the Bible and denies is the doctrine of God's judgment. You remember back in Genesis 3 where he's having this conversation through the serpent with Eve? And Eve says to him, you know, God has told us that if we eat from the fruit of that tree, we will die. And the very next phrase from Satan's mouth is, surely you will not die. He's basically calling God a liar. He's saying, you won't die. And that's why ever since then, men and women on this earth, somehow deceive themselves and delude themselves and think that God is lying. Or again, denying that there even is a God. 
and trying to erase a future day of reckoning where his judgment, his retribution, and his vindication is going to come, you see, upon those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can deny it, folks, but it's coming. And let me say this, because I never want to take for granted that everyone here knows the Lord in a personal way. If you're here this morning and you have continued to say no to Jesus Christ in your life and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what awaits you. Whether you want to come to grips with it or not, whether you want to, you know, refuse it, push it out of your mind, whatever, it's coming. As sure as every other promise and prophecy from God has come true throughout history, this one will come as well. But let's move on. Where we also see a biblical understanding of hell. I think even many Christians somehow have a warped view of what hell is. Somehow they've grown up either in church or being taught erroneously or something that hell is this place where this angry God confines people who really, you know, are pretty good people and they, they want God in their life, but somehow they didn't get a fair shake. They, they didn't really get a fair hearing before God. That somehow if they'd have just, you know, had God do something more or, or show them something more or send another message, somehow they would have, you know, it would have been okay. But that's not the truth of God's word. Here's what God says concerning that. In verse 9, they will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction. And again, people even deny the fact that this is going to last for all of eternity. Yes, according to God, it will. They, according to verse 9, are going to pay a very high price. What is that price? Unending ruin. The loss of all that is worthwhile is what eternal destruction means. And notice, the Bible does not teach annihilationism. That somehow, well, all those who reject Jesus Christ, God will just do away with. And there really is no such thing as eternal suffering in a place called hell. Well, biblically, that's not true. It's very clear here. Very clear. A child can understand this. They will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His strength. Now here's what I want to focus on for just a few minutes this morning. This is a biblical understanding of hell, if you will. Notice that the Bible teaches that it is being separated literally from the presence of or the face of God. That's what hell is. Hell is basically an eternity apart from God. Completely apart. No connection. No contact. And it's something that you and I can't even wrap our minds around. Because even before we became a Christian, even when we were not a believer yet, we don't know what it's like to be completely cut off from God. Because even in that state, God was in our lives. 
God was wooing us and, and working in our lives. And, and he, was, he was speaking into our hearts. And, and, and we had connection with God even as an un, unbeliever. But in hell, there will be a complete cutoff, a complete separation between those in hell and God. We'll never experience that. Thank the Lord. Because what is happening here is this. God is showing us that it is only when we are connected in some way to our Creator that life is meaningful, worthwhile, and fulfilling. See, the lies of Satan and the philosophy of the world today, which rings into our ears constantly, and that we have to combat with the truth of God's Word, is that a hundred years after you die, a thousand years after you die, a million years after you die, it won't matter that you were born. It won't matter that you existed. You're just obliterated and your life has no meaning. But that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is for those of us who are connected to God, our life will have eternal significance, purpose and meaning. And yes, my life and your life does count. And it will matter 10 million years from now that we were born and that we lived on this earth and that we knew God and that we knew the people that we did. That's what makes the church so important. Because what we are engaged in here has eternal significance and, and matters eternally down through the corridors of time. But here's where I want to give us a biblical understanding of hell. Hell, and I love what C.S. Lewis once said. Hell is actually an eternal monument to the free will of man. Because here's what God does. God isn't sending people there that really want him. And somehow, again, they haven't had a fair shake with this just God. No. The people who end up in hell, separated from God of all eternity, are getting exactly what they want. You see, as I wrote down here in my own Bible, hell is God leaving man alone in his self-chosen rebellion against him. That's what hell is. You don't want me? You don't want a part of me? You want to do your own thing? You want to live without me? You want to go your own way, do your own thing, live your own life? Then here, here's a whole eternity to do that in. That's what hell is. Hell is basically saying, there. That's what you want? I'll give it to you. As painful as it is. Because God understands... All that that's going to do is continue to, to give those people a chance to just get more rebellious and more miserable and experience more ruin and more misery and more pain because they're never connected to God at all for the rest of eternity. They are completely and forever cut off from God because that's what they want. See, for those of us who know God, there came a point in our life where we said, God, I want you. I want you to be a part of my life. I, I want what you want. 
And so God says, great, then I'll give you what you want. You want me? Let's spend eternity together. In fact, let's take a sharp turn now. Because we've talked about the horrible destiny of those who reject God in their life. But let's look for a moment at the unbelievable destiny for those of us who know God. Notice he says in verse 10, when he comes, Jesus, to be glorified among his saints and admired on that day among all who have believed. Paul saying to the church at Thessalonica, oh, when Jesus comes back. And this isn't talking about the rapture now, see. This is differentiating the rapture from the second coming because Jesus doesn't come with his mighty angels in flaming fire at the rapture. This is talking about the second coming. This is when he comes in judgment at the battle of Armageddon and begins to make things right and set things right on this earth. And the Bible describes it two ways. First of all, he says, when Jesus comes, he's going to be glorified among his saints. The word glorified means that Jesus will finally be viewed in high personal esteem, befitting the great worth that he is. In other words, Jesus is finally, even amongst his own people, going to be elevated and esteemed for who he really is. Because even for those of us who know him, do we really give him the value, the worth, and the esteem that he is due? Many times, no. Because if we really did value Jesus, if we really did esteem him for whom he is, our lives would look different. Our priorities would be different. If we really believed that he was who he is. And I love this too because notice it says he will be glorified among his saints. It means that also part of this is we will sit around or stand around or whatever as God's people and we will marvel at what God did through us. That's going to be amazing. Even if, you know, so the things that we see happening at the Oasis, the things that we see, and God's even going to be able to show us things that we don't even know that happened. That he did through us. And we're going to go, wow, God, you were were more amazing and greater than I ever imagined. Because, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know you used our body of believers to do that or to make that impact or to influence in that way. And you just never know how that's going to happen. Just like yesterday. Twelve of our people were baptized yesterday, and yet here was a house filled with 75 people who came to witness. And I think about what was the impact on those family members and friends of those people that were there to witness that baptism yesterday. We may never know until we get to eternity. But that's going to be part of it. We're going to marvel at what God did through this little community of believers right here. The people that he impacts overseas every week through this ministry that we hear about. The people now that we know in Mexicali that this church has impacted and influenced. And all over. 
that's part of the being glorified among his saints. But then he goes on to say, and Jesus is also going to be admired on that day among all who believe. The word admired means to be awestruck, to be amazed. It is describing a breathtaking experience. Think about it. Paul's even saying to Christians, when you and I see Jesus, it's going to take our breath away. We will finally see him in all of his unhindered glory. We will finally have a full apprehension of God. And when that happens, there will hardly be any breath left in us. We will be awestruck. We will be marveling. We will be wondering. It's too bad we don't have that kind of experience today as we come to worship God in spirit and in truth. That we as the people of God would have such connection with God that when we come say on Sunday that we would, we would have God like that in our lives. To where we were just amazed that God loved us at all, saved us at all, forgave us at all, made us part of His body at all, and that we come with such overflowing gratitude and appreciation and acknowledgement. We couldn't wait to get here and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. For in eternity, we certainly will. And I think when God in eternity in heaven gives a call to worship, there's not going to be any one of us go, well... God, can, can you wait 10 minutes? Or God, I, you know what? That's not my bag. No, I don't think any of us are going to refuse God at that point. So why do we refuse him now? But here's what Paul says. Jesus will be glorified among his saints and admired on that day among all who have believed. That's the real key. Have you and I believed? And that's where we come back to sort of the battle for the soul, if you will. Because belief in the Bible is more than just an intellectual grasping or understanding of facts. Belief is where I really entrust Myself totally to the one who has revealed himself to be who he is. That's what belief is. See, belief, according to the Bible, will bring change and transformation. In fact, notice Paul goes on in verse 10 to say, And you did, in fact, to the Thessalonian believers, believe our testimony. Well, how could Paul say such a thing? How could he be so sure that the people that he was talking to in Thessalonica had believed? Can he look into their heart and see that they really did accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? No. No human being can do that. Then how did Paul know, in fact, I know you believed? Because of the evidence? Because of the evidence. Because of the change and transformation that took place when the Thessalonians did believe. In fact, to show you this, just go back a few pages to the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Let me remind you of a verse we looked at many months ago now. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul says, For people everywhere report how you welcomed us and how you, and here's the key word, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The word turned means to literally be converted, to be changed, to be transformed. Paul says, here's how I know you all in Thessalonica believe. Not because I'm God and I can look into your heart and know, but I see the clear evidence. There was a definite change and transformation that took place in your life. God, through His truth and through His love, is changing you and transforming you. And you're different all the time. Because you're becoming more and more every day like Jesus Christ. That's how Paul could say it so confidently. And this is where my concern and where I believe a warning from God comes to all of us. And that is this, that you and I can exist in a spiritual environment. We can exist and live in a religious environment where God's truth and and experiencing God and, and, and seeing his blessing and all of that can be all around us. And yet, and yet, and yet not be changed, not be transformed in any way. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, look at the Bible. Read the New Testament, especially the four Gospels. And you will see that this is the greatest thing that Jesus confronted all the time. He lived in Israel where there was, the Old Testament was known by many people backwards and forwards. In fact, most of the religious leaders in Israel knew the Old Testament up here better than you and I will ever know the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus said, you've never let the Word of God change you. You've never let the truth of God transform your life. You're the same. He says to His people, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And that's the danger all of us live in. We can come to a church like the Oasis where we hear the truth of God week in and week out and yet never change, never be transformed. That's the danger. See, God's love coming into our life and God's truth flowing into our life isn't just to fill our heads and and to get us to a place where we can acknowledge, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. It's where our heart is gripped by God. It's where our heart is given to God. It's where we allow the truth of God's love and the truth of his word to change us at the very core of our being. Way down here in our inner soul, if you will. And that's why I talked at the very beginning of this message about the battle for the soul. Because Satan even doesn't care if you or I exist in an environment where we experience God's love. He doesn't care if we exist in an environment where we hear the truth of God's word. As long as we don't give our heart to God and let him change us and let him transform us. That's the only thing he cares about. And too often, as the people of God, 
We can be in a spiritual environment. We can exist around spiritual people. It's why even, you know, people down through my lifetime. How can a child grow up in a Christian environment with Christian parents? And how can they go off doing their own thing and and live such an ungodly life? Because it's a heart issue. It has nothing to do with the environment that they're a part of. Every human being has to make this decision. Every human being has to come to a place where they give their heart to God. Where they allow God to change them and transform them. Transform them. That's the real issue. And that's what Paul wants to remind the church of. That when Jesus does come, he will be glorified among his saints and admired by all who believe. Are we believing today? Are we letting the love of God and the truth of God and the reality of God and the experience of God truly change us and transform us? Are we just playing games? Because Paul says what we are engaged in is serious business as a church. It doesn't mean as the people of God we can't have fun. I like to have fun just like everybody else. It doesn't mean we can't have joy and and stuff and laugh. You better if you're a Christian. In fact, we should more than anybody else. But it also means that as the people of God, we better understand what we're engaged in and get engaged. Because what we're dealing with affects eternity. What we're dealing with is about the soul of ourselves, our families, our communities, our church, our cities, our country, and the very world in which we exist in. It's time for the people of God to rise up and to take on the responsibility that we have and to realize that every day, every day, we can make a difference in eternity, both in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Because one day, a day of reckoning is coming, Paul said. Eternal rest for those who know God Eternal ruin separated forever from the presence of God for those who say no to God. What's your destiny? And then God would say to his people, if you know where your destiny is and you know where you're going to be, then be engaged in bringing others to that same destiny. And be engaged in lifting up and growing your brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them. Because what we are engaged in now is something that's going to matter for all of eternity. Let's pray. As the worship team comes. Father God. As your people. Help us to live in light of eternity. Help us to realize, God, that being part of the church is more than being entertained. It's more than filling our social calendars with events. It's about being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's about being changed by your love and by your truth.
And God, if the world apart from you that doesn't want anything to do with you can't see the reality of you in the church, then where can they see it? It's got to begin with us, your people. We've got to show through our own lives the positive difference God makes every day in our lives. And when we as the church take that responsibility and roll seriously, then we will start to see more and more lives transformed and changed. Because you placed that responsibility with us. You said to us, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Oh God, let's rise up and be who you call us to be. And today, on this Father's Day, I believe that God is especially sending a call out to us men. Saying to us, will we be the leaders in our home, in our community, in our church, that we should be as the men of God. We rejoice and celebrate over the many women who are willing to be committed followers of Jesus Christ, but too often the women are doing more leading even in the church than the men are. It is time for us as the men to rise up and be the men of God. Will we make that commitment today? Will we be the leaders God has called us to be? Oh God, use this next few minutes to again, God, affect eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.